welcome once again to Cinemaholics, the major motion podcast, where we talk about the biggest and the best films coming to theaters and streaming online from the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm John Negroni, film editor for InBetweenDrafts.com, and talking to us through a can connected by string. And he's from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. That's where he got the string. He's a freelance film writer. It's Will Ashen. Hey, Will. What up? We're still trying to get your your audio set up all figured out. Um, past couple of weeks... Sure. You know, you haven't been able to record with your usual stuff. And, you know, I, I think some of the listeners might, might appreciate it. It almost feels like I have a collar on for the whole thing. You know what I mean? I was going to say, I mean, I feel looser this way. Like, I feel like I'm, you know, able to be a little bit more agile and kind of improvise a little bit. Yeah, which you don't is have fitting. to put on your broadcasting voice. You can just put on your Will Ashton voice. Yeah, which is fitting because for once and... I can't even remember the last time we've had this kind of thing happen. We're talking on the main app about a comedy film. A comedy? Wait. Elemental? A Pixar romantic comedy? Does that mean nothing to you? Sure. I guess what I mean is a straight comedy. A straight comedy. So now now it's still Pride Month, Will Ashton, and you would say something like that. Uh, How dare me. Uh, But no, I mean, you know, I I can't remember. A studio comedy? Yeah, like a studio comedy, like an R-rated studio comedy. Not that it has to be R-rated, but I just can't remember the last time we devoted a main episode to like a straightforward comedy. Like a I hear you on that. Cover. Yeah. I think during lockdown we might have because that's when we were at our most desperate in terms of finding things to talk about. Sure. <laughs> but I think I know there have been other ones since, but uh, Bros, for sure, uh, oh, was yeah. one. That I, yeah. I think we did give that the main episode. Nope. Um, before bonus. that, was that, that a bonus? Was, yeah, we were going to do it for the main, but then we realized that Smile was going to well eclipse mm. that in popularity. So we did, like you rushed out and saw Smile. I had a screening for that one. Uh, and then we made that one the main review, and then we made Bros the bonus. Your memory continues to be unmatched. Mm. And I'm trying to think, because like, I keep thinking of like blockers. I know that was a, kind of a big one. Yeah, that's 2019. But, that's so long ago. No, I think that was 2018. Maybe. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's suffice it to say, we, we haven't really done a, like a main focus on a comedy. Usually it's like the second or third review if we do review a comedy. You know, like I think we did um, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar for like the third review in one episode in like 2020 or 2021. Uh, but I can't remember. Yeah, I mean, it's been a bit since we've even talked about comedy, a straightforward comedy, let alone made it the main focus. Well, let alone a raunchy comedy, you know, a, or is that what you mean by you said sex comedy? Yeah, sorry. I was grabbing a drink because I thought you were going to talk more. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, a sex comedy. Yeah, sex comedy. OK, yeah, you're you're, you're, uh, you're it's hard to totally make out every word you're saying. So I might have to ask you questions, follow up questions. Sure. Yeah, so I hear you. And part of that is because, A, Hollywood doesn't make sex comedies very often anymore. And B, when they do, they don't tend to go to theaters, or rather, they don't tend to be big, wide releases, at least to the point where you and I would feel like, okay, that's the big one to talk about this weekend. That's usually how we make our choices. People could argue that, well, John, Will, you should not make your choices that way. You should talk about the movie you want to talk about. But excuse me, that's the business. All right. We're not we're not here to make your feelings better. You know, sure. no hard feelings is the correct title, isn't it? You're, I, I feel you're getting ready to say facts don't care about your feelings, which is getting me a little nervous here. <laughs> um, now, here's the question for you. Are they not making sex comedies as much because people aren't coming out to see comedies or because people aren't having sex as much here? here so here is my theory on that. And. I think that it's a complicated thing. It has a lot of factors. And in fact, I do think there is an understanding amongst the millennials and Gen X producers out there. You know, there's the the executives are all baby boomers, right? And some Gen Xers. And then the producers who are making these things happen, putting these things together. There is an understanding that Gen Z is not that horny, where if they are, their horniness is a type of horniness that the older generations do not seem to understand. And that I'll, I'll put it this way. 
it doesn't really connect with the kind of raunchy Judd Apatow American pie kind of sex comedy that was all the rage in the nineties and two thousands. And I think sometimes people overstate how established that type of film was. People treat it like it was just another genre like the Western, but if you really look at raunchy comedies, they don't really kind of get their footing until the late seventies and eighties. And back then they look extremely different from late 90s and 2000s. It is a bit more of a blip in Hollywood history, the sex comedy, than I think people give it credit. Because I think a lot of people who talk about this stuff are like, well, yeah, I grew up on, there's something about Mary. You know what I mean? People grew up on things like Eurotrip. And uh, like I mentioned before, Judd Apatow movies that are R-rated, they go a little harder. But uh, take, for example, Animal House is one of the prototypical kind of R-rated kind of sex comedies, I guess. But that is such a completely different movie from something like American Wedding. They're, they're just totally different, uh, for lack of sure. a better word, animals. And then my sure. other thing on this is that I think the sex comedy has moved over to TV. Yeah, That's what it is. Either TV or TV movies. They just don't put these in theaters anymore because over the course of about 10 years, we got movies like Bride Wars. We got movies like How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, which uh, some of these movies, I, I know I mentioned two Kate Hudson movies. I don't know why I did that. It was not on purpose, but uh, romantic comedies, it applies to this as well. They just started to make these series because they're very marketable. They're cheap to make and they tend to earn a lot more attention when they're a thumbnail on a streaming app. That's just how it is these days. So that, that's where my theory goes on that. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's a little uh, multifaceted uh, as far as it being obviously, I mean, we mentioned it already, but I mean, studio comedies are just less and less of a thing. As you mentioned, it seems like this type of uh, comedy or this genre has primarily shifted to TV just because studios are a lot more interested in like IPs and like stuff that's like, you know, a movie like No Hard Feelings isn't going to probably have like, you know, sequels and spinoffs and, you know, like a, a five part miniseries on Peacock. It's just kind of a straightforward film. And those are less sure things. I mean, stars are less sure things. And, you know, something like, you know, even a, you know, one of our rare uh, millennial A listers, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, hasn't really starred in a, a theatrical film, I think, since like Mother or uh, Red Sparrow. Red Sparrow would be the last one. Although technically, Don't Look Up did release in some theaters. I don't know if right. it was a technical wide release, but it, it was a substantial amount. There, it, it did show up, but it was a Netflix movie, so most people watch that via streaming, to be fair. Right. But okay, um, I think really kind of comes down to, as far as like the sex comedy goes, I mean, it's not really a fun topic to discuss, but I do think there is probably some resistance on Hollywood's part to avoid this genre because of the Me Too movie. They just don't really want to, like, you know, kind of go through some murky waters, make light of, you know, uh, sex when, you know, like... I don't know if that's even... I don't know if I can agree with you at all on that. I genuinely don't think they care. As I, What I'm trying to say, though, is, like, it's less about the Me Too movement, more just I think people have, you know, kind of gone back and they're like, oh, like, these comedies don't hold up as well. And it's like the the sexual politics of it are easier to criticize and i feel like there is a concern maybe i'm not saying it's right or wrong i just feel like for a hollywood producer i could understand in their kind of short uh you know short-sighted view of it that they would probably want to avoid you know just genre altogether if it's not even bankable or uh you know com it, it's not sure if it's bankable um and all that yeah and i mean I think it's kind of a combination of those things that could be right, could be wrong. I have no idea. It, it is multifaceted. There are lots of reasons. But I mean, one thing that I always go back to is the fact that we don't have a summer blockbuster season anymore like we used to. We have a, a summer blockbuster year. There are blockbusters coming out almost every single week of the calendar year. And what that tends to mean is that we can't really, I mean, these kinds of comedies just can't really compete with like a Marvel movie, another DC, another big animated thing, something that's big IP, something like Crazy Rich Asians, which is based on a book. And I think what that leads to is that, well, okay, we have to have, uh, these movies have to get more expensive because they have to be flashier and then they have to have stars. And so they have to pay more money for the cast to be bigger. But then the problem you run into there is that a lot of these stars are going to be choosing big IP projects because they're going to get more money out of franchises and things like that. So I think that, you know, you can still get something like a 50 shades of gray, which is not a romantic comedy, but I mean, just like kind of like your 
that's an IP thing, isn't it? It's like, I don't think it totally depends on the genre. I think it depends more on sort of like the hype and the interest around it. And the fact that if you have like an original screenplay or something and you have this kind of concept, concept like no hard feelings, this to me, I feel like they could have just made a like eight episode Netflix series or Mac series or whatever. And it probably would have been more successful just in terms of people watching it, maybe not financially. Um, although, you know, we, we are talking about this a while after uh, this came out. We're recording this a bit later in the week, so we can actually take a look at the box office uh, here in a minute. This movie cost $45 million to make. It's made $29.9 million so far in less, a little less than a week, which isn't the worst, but certainly it's like a sign that like, yeah, these things just aren't total money makers. Uh, and it also depends on how much this movie really sort of, uh, how much marketing they put into the budget, which I, I don't assume that they did a ton because I don't know. Did you see a lot of billboards for no hard feelings in Pittsburgh? Was it all the rage? Everybody talking about it? Uh, billboards. No, I, I have seen a number of ads for this film though, on both, uh, in theaters and on online. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, I mean, it seems to be exceeding expectations financially at the moment. I don't know how uh, leggy it's going to be, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't say I agree with you about the, the Netflix thing. I don't know if it would have garnered more viewers or not, but I think the thing that I found so refreshing about this film and why I think other people are finding refreshing about it is that it's a film. It's a movie. Like, you know, it's, it's a pretty self-contained story. Well, we should say what it is. We should sure. say what it's about. So people, because some people might be listening and they're like, well, what are you guys talking about? What is no hard feelings? So let's do that. Uh, this movie is yep. directed by Gene Stepinski, uh, Stupnitsky, I think actually, uh, director of Good Boys, Bad Teacher, and co-creator of Jury Duty, which is a good show. Uh, very fun premise. He worked on The Office too, right? Yes. Uh, he wrote 15 episodes of The Office and directed a couple. And uh, so oh, also a writer for year one, which... Uh, is terrible. Uh, writer yeah. for Bad Teacher, uh, his directorial debut was Good Boys. Uh, he directed and wrote this film, No Hard Feelings, co-wrote it with John Phillips. And this movie, as we mentioned, stars Jennifer Lawrence. And it follows the plot of this young woman who is a well, young woman. She's 32. And so she's a millennial. She's like us. And she's an Uber driver. She lives in Montauk, New York, which is kind of this beach town. And it's kind of being gentrified. So people like her who grew up in the town, who is kind of working class, she's being edged out by the tourism industry. So you have a bunch of rich people who are moving to this area, especially in the summer. And she makes all of her money being an Uber driver and as well as a bartender during this sort of season. Unfortunately, she gets her car towed and she is about to lose her house, which she got from her mother. And so she's in dire straits. Eventually, she accepts a very strange posting on Craigslist that essentially says, we'll give you a car if you date our son. The son in question is 19-year-old Percy, who's played by Andrew Barthelman. And he's a very shy and awkward kid. And his parents, uh, Laura Benanti and Matthew Broderick, play them. They essentially hire Jennifer Lawrence to date this 19-year-old in order to get him out of his shell because they're worried that his shyness, his awkwardness, he's never had a girlfriend, he doesn't have any friends in real life, that he's about to go to college, about to go to Princeton, and they just want him to get out of his shell right before that happens, the summer before his freshman year of college. So she's supposed to date him, and of course the implication when they say like they want him, her to date the heck out of him um, is that essentially they want her to take his virginity, right? And so you were saying something earlier, Will Ashton, about uh, you know movies and the Me Too movement and uh, you know strange sex politics and uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I do remember that was kind of a conversation around the film, uh, being like, how are they really going to tackle like a premise like this? Well, of course, I think that's the source of the humor of it. Of course, is that it's this awkward kind of power dynamic, and she's kind of befuddling and not quite uh you know able to uh, relate to this younger kind of more insular uh generation but um yeah i mean apparently this is based on a real craigslist i could be totally wrong but i thought i read that on imdb uh yeah i'm not aware of uh where they came up with the idea so sure nevertheless yeah so yeah uh this movie's just come out to theaters and the reviews have been well i won't say what the reviews are yet because we have the raw tomatoes game afoot uh, that's going to be coming later. 
but I'll, I'll put it this way. I'll, I'll say that, you know, some people, some people have some feelings, some hard feelings about this movie. Some don't. And, uh, it's a little bit divisive in some ways. Sure. But I feel like, you know, for a genre like comedies, it, that could also kind of be considered a good thing, right? It's very subjective, isn't it? Well, no, not only that, but I mean, like, you know, like there's all these movies, like, you know, for the 2000s or whatever that, or even earlier, obviously, like, you know, like, like you mentioned Animal House and all these comedies that get bad reviews on the onset and then people kind of come around to them. I have no idea if that's going to happen with no hard feelings. I'd be kind of surprised if it did, but... <laughs> But uh, just uh, just to say, I mean, if there's any genre that can bounce back from potentially negative reviews, it would almost certainly be a raunchy comedy. There is something to be said about how this movie is coming out right now. You know, it's coming out in a weekend, the end of June, when its only competition was Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken, which did not screen for critics uh, anywhere I'm aware of. Hmm? Next week. Uh, is it not June 30th? Ruby, Ruby well, Gilman? Well, yeah, but that's... Yeah, but that's not the weekend that No Hard Feelings came out. Oh, you're right. You're right. I'm a week late on that. Sorry, sorry. So yeah, you're right. You're right. No Hard Feelings kind of came out somewhat on its own. Um, not a lot of competition. Uh, I think Asteroid City was opening nationwide last weekend as well. We already reviewed that film. Right. But yeah, it is kind of baffling in some ways because, you know, Elemental came out last week like with The Flash and both movies were competing with each other. And then you have Indiana Jones and Dial of Destiny coming out this weekend, looking like it's going to have a, you know, a sizable box office. And here is this kind of raunchy sex comedy sandwiched in between. It's a very weird summer in a lot of weird ways. This is actually, I honestly, I wish The Blackening had come out this weekend um, because I still want to see that and, you know, just putting that out there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it does seem like there is a greater emphasis on studio comedies this summer, at least in the uh, early early to mid months of the year, because there was uh, About My Father, there was The Machine, there was, like you said, The Blackening, now there's No Hard Feelings, and there's going to be Joyride. So, you know, I mean, I, I can't speak to how well those movies are or aren't doing, but, uh, you I know. I mean, Joyride is the real deal. Like, that, that movie's actually pretty great. You say that. I, I've seen it twice, and I'm not saying that you're going to like it, Washington, because your heart is steel. It's it's cold as ice, but I know a few other critics who have watched it this past week and are on Team John, and so that's sure. the team you want to be on, because that means you enjoyed the heck out of that movie. I, I have no opinion on the film. I haven't even seen it yet, but I just said, I have told you this, and I'll tell the listeners that the, those trailers are not doing it for me, but I have faith in you. I'll trust your opinion. If that's the movie we review in two weeks, is that when it's coming out? One week. Because we're recording this on Thursday, oh, yeah. so it'll be coming out next right. weekend. Um, and, and look, no, Will Ashton, you should never trust me. I mean, you know that. Have you learned nothing? Sure. And yeah, yeah, Joyride very much. It, it, I, and it's worth bringing up because for those of you who don't know, Joyride is also an R-rated kind of raunchy comedy. It's a road trip comedy, and it's set in China. And it's about like a, chi a few Chinese Americans who go on a road trip through China and, and escapades and all that good stuff. Stephanie Hsu, Ashley Parker, Sherry Cola, Sabrina Wu, they're the crew. That said, it is very difficult to watch a movie like No Hard Feelings right after because I'm, I have had two consecutive like comedy experiences, like going to the theater to watch a comedy and I'm watching the same movie twice and I'm laughing so much in both of them. And then I go to no hard feelings and I go into this movie and I'm on team Jennifer Lawrence. I'm always rooting for J law because I think that she's gotten short shrift over the years, just in terms of, I get it. She's picked bad projects, but I think in even the bad movies she's been in, they're not bad because of her. Like I never watch a Jennifer Lawrence performance and go like, wow, why, you know, why aren't you really giving it your all, J-Law? No, it's always because I'm like, why did you pick this script? This script is not servicing you whatsoever. And I think the last movie I saw her in that I really enjoyed was Causeway, which was the last movie she was in. It's an Apple TV movie, though. And so it was one of those ones that not a lot of people watched. It got some awards consideration. That was about it. She and Brian Tyree Henry are a force. And I think you like that movie as well, right? Yeah, that was pretty good. And then before that, she has Don't Look Up, which I don't think is a great movie. But it, it, again, it, not because of her, you know, not because of Leonardo DiCaprio or Cate Blanchett. It's because the movie is just a bit of a mess. It's a bit of Adam McKay going through some stuff. Before that, we already mentioned Red Sparrow, which I think is just an abominable film. And again, not because of her. And then Mother, I think Mother is like the last time I watched a J-Law movie and I was like, she's in good hands. 
Like this is, this is my kind of thing. And I, I go to bat for that one. I know you do too. Sure. And then before that, what, is, what do we have before that? Passengers. And uh, we have uh, one of American Hustle. We have uh, Joy. I mean, we have her David or Russell movies, which I, I genuinely have never been fully on board with. You're forgetting about her X-Men movies, which are... I'm not the only one, am I? Sure. Yeah, she was in Dark Phoenix. You're right. Dark Phoenix and X-Men Apocalypse before that. And those were just such yawns, I think, for her. I, I think that genuinely, th- those are actually instances where she was like, I don't care. and But uh, I guess I don't care either. So I, I don't blame her for that at all. Right. I mean, particularly the last two X-Men movies, as you mentioned, are like the only times I can really think of her sleepwalking through a performance. As you said, yeah. I mean, it's it's very evident that she has that kind of spontaneity, that, that enthusiasm, that you know, kind of raw but clear star power that, you know, has really made her a dynamic star presence. And, I mean, I will say, like, as much as I love a movie like Mother, I can totally, totally understand why she would much rather do a movie like No Hard Feelings than try and make another Mother. <laughs> it just kind of based on everything that, that went through uh, on screen and off of that film. I, I certainly have been a fan of her Hunger Games movies. I, I think that she's good in those, and I don't love the last couple of them, The Mockingjay Part 1 and 2, but I, I, that was mostly the book. I, I just don't think the book is quite as good. That said, she's had an interesting career. I think she's going to have an inter- interesting career after this. You know, She produces her movies now. She's produced uh, th- uh, this this one, she produced Causeway. Uh, I think she produced uh, Bread and Roses, which is uh, she was just a producer on. She didn't star in or anything like that. But that's another movie coming out this year, and a very small movie. I don't know what she has coming next, to be honest. But whatever it is, I, I'm again, I'm always going to root for her. And I was rooting for her in this movie. I don't really like this movie very much. I think it's, but I think it's very average. I think this is just one of those movies where I didn't laugh that much but I wasn't so supremely bored by it that I wanted to leave every second of it. I was in it. I was like, okay, here we go. And I found a lot of it predictable, but this movie has like just enough moments catching my interest to, to basically not insult me or make me feel like I wasted a whole time. I, I, this is a movie I'll only ever watch once. I'll put it that way. And I think the things that work about it are genuinely Jennifer Lawrence and Andrew Barth Feldman. I think they actually, weirdly enough, like once they kind of get their footing and they start spending some time together and some of the the gags start to work themselves out between them, I started to buy into their shtick. And their shtick is very, uh, the thing I like about it is that it's not that pointed. Like it's, there's like, it's not fully platonic and it's not fully romantic. It's not even like a really good balance of either. It's almost like a lava lamp of like what's going on with these two. And I actually think it's like really, really interesting. It kind of reminds me of the relationship between millennials and Gen Z in general. And so when the movie was having me think about that stuff, particularly in the sequence where Jennifer Lawrence is like at a Gen Z party and they're really playing it up, those are the times where I was like, this is an, this is an interesting concept for a movie. It's not doing it that well but uh then you also have a, a moment where andrew barthelman who is uh i think he's broadway trained uh, he gets to do this whole piano cover that is just remarkably good <laughs> like it was just like a really fun sequence so yeah there are just there are just little, little morsels in here for me to feel like i i got my my ticket worth uh but although i did go to a screening i didn't pay for a ticket you did you were at a public screening i'll say sure. my screening not a ton of laughs, but people laughed here and there. Uh, what was the reaction from your crowd, and uh, what was the reaction from you? Uh, my crowd, I don't know. I, it, it, from what I could gauge, it didn't seem like they were like super into it. Like they weren't like against it. But I, I remember the woman in front of me kept like giggling at like random things, like not even really jokes. Just like people said a line, and there's a pause. So it's like, oh, okay, it must be a joke. <laughs> like some like weird kind of dynamic. Um, but yeah, I mean, like as it went along, kind of the more outlandish stuff kind of came into play a couple laughs, but yeah, really didn't really feel like my audience was like super, you know, like it wasn't like they were busting a gut throughout. And, uh, I can't say I was really busting a gut either. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to value about this film and I was really excited going into it because as we mentioned, uh, I feel it's been a while since we had this genre and I, you know, I've grown up watching comedies all my life it's probably my favorite genre and you went into it knowing like john doesn't like it that much so you must have been like oh yeah heck yeah here we go right um but no i mean i I think for this the reasons you mentioned like i the main thing 
was I just was really excited to see Jennifer Lawrence in a movie. And knowing that this is a movie she's been kind of building up to for a while, not necessarily this film exactly, but I know, you know, from like countless interviews that she's talked about her love of stepbrothers, her love of like goofy kind of raunchy comedies in general. Just her persona on the talk show circuit. She's a quirky weirdo. And it's so weird to me that she hasn't been a quirky weirdo on the big screen more often. She's been a little bit more serious as an actor and a lot of things. And that's fine. But yeah, she should be in movies like this. Better movies. But like, I like this like track. Let's keep going with it. Yeah. And I mean, as we kind of alluded to, it seems like she's a little bit more selective now. She got married not too long ago. She has a kid. And so I think she's not going to just like make movies unless she really feels a desire to want to make them. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it just seems like she really wanted to do this. She was really gun ho about it and she just fully commits. And it's just, uh, really like refreshing to see that, that quality that we, we were talking about of Jennifer Lawrence, where I feel like she's very much a star. Like you can just kind of tell when she's on screen, she radiates, but she has a quality that's, it goes back all the way to like uh, winter's bone where she can feel very like natural and present. Like, she can look like a movie star. She's obviously very beautiful, very charismatic, but uh, she also can feel like very lived in and honest to a scene, even like a kind of goofy comedy like this one. So I, I, I think she really kind of elevates this better than I think even most of her peers could have. And I, I think a lot of that also comes down to, again, the commitment that she brings to her role. And I do think, as you were mentioning, it, she has sort of a nice... Uh, I can't say will they, won't they chemistry, but like some sort of platonic, not platonic friend, sisterly uh, dynamic with her and uh, Andrew Barr Feldman. Andrew Barr Feldman, yes. Yeah. Uh, who I think is pretty good here. I, I don't think I've seen him in anything else. Uh, I know he's still, you know, obviously pretty young and kind of on the up and up. So he was, he was, he had a guest role in High School Musical. The musical, the series. Oh, yeah. Uh, I didn't watch that, but I did remember when I was talking to Matt fairly recently that he said I think he met uh, Andrew Barr Feldman uh, because his brother, if you don't know, Joe Serafini is on uh, High School Musical, the musical, the series. So, um, yeah, I mean, good for him. Uh, You know, I I hope this opens some doors for him. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess the big issue here, and this is all subjective, but uh, it just not very funny. <laughs> like, it's one of the things where it's like, like they tell jokes and there's like comedic set pieces and like, there's room for like funny stuff, but just nothing really like, it doesn't really pop. It's weird. There are times where they literally leave room for laughs. The very right. first scene where Jennifer Lawrence is like doing her exposition jokes with uh, the guy from the bear. I forget, forget the actor's name. I'll look it up here. Real Eben... quick, but Eben, Eben Moss backrock. Yeah. He plays Gary. I think you mean, uh, from girls yeah he was in girls as well but uh he's more people will probably recognize him from the bear because that's hot and popping uh and so is he but no uh yeah there's like the whole scene where he's towing her car and like literally like she she's giving like exposition and she's doing it in a comedic way and then there are these weird pauses and you're like am i supposed to be laughing during this pause because she didn't say anything that funny and so yeah it's, it's kind of bizarre yeah. And I mean, like the, the thing I find intriguing is I think it's kind of biggest detriment, which is uh, it's a much sweeter film than I think maybe the trailers and stuff went on. But it's not very raunchy. Like there, there are like maybe two or three, like if that, like I think maybe even just one or two. There are very raunchy scenes, but I guess what you're saying is like raunchiness is not its DNA. It just has raunchy like outbursts because like sure. all of a sudden, like Jennifer Lawrence will be like full frontal nudity for like a fight scene. And you're like, Oh, that's not really what this movie was, but okay. Right. Now it is. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like there's like that. And then there's like um, a later sequence involving a car, which is kind of more, bigger and like broader and like it's going for kind of the more outrageous stuff that seems to be emulating from its peers but for the most part it's kind of going for uh i don't know like the film that kept reminding me of weirdly was the girl next door you know because that's also a film with like an older kind of mentor figure for a younger you know teenage guy uh but that even that film's like notably more raunchy than, than a film like this one but that one also is kind of going for like a raunchy sweet dynamic that 
Uh, I mean, from my memory, it's been a while since I've seen that film, but I feel like that movie is a little bit better about kind of balancing the, like, you know, the, the sweet and sour. And this one I feel like is maybe a little too sweet for its own good. Yeah. The movie I was thinking about a lot was licorice pizza, which, you know, different in terms of like the age difference. Yeah. What? I said, oy vey. We're bringing that back in. And uh, usually, too, I was thinking of the babysitters and and, and it's like our babysitter, I think it was, where it does feel like when we do these movies where it's like the teenage guy who's like in love with the older woman who's like maybe in her 20s or 30s. It sometimes it gets twisted into a horror movie or a horror comedy. So, yeah, it it is a little interesting to, to pivot it this way, isn't it? I mean, you know, I mean, well, I mean, you could go back to like The Graduate or like Risky Business or something. Well, I'm talking about these days. I'm talking about like what passes these days. Sure. And The Graduate is different in the sense that, you know, she is in her 40s, you know, and that that is a totally different. Th- it, sure. I do think there is a different vibe between like a guy who's a teenager who's in love with a girl who's like in her late 20s to early 30s versus a guy who's in love with a woman who's the same age as his mother. Right? Because isn't that what the graduate was kind of going after? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I mean, I think he's Mrs. like... Mrs. Robinson was, the, was his mother's friend. Right. No, I know. But like the, the actors were like fairly close in age. I know that's different. But uh, but yeah, he's like a recent, obviously he's like a recent high or college graduate. And it's like there's a little bit more of a different power dynamic there. Obviously, yeah, still salacious and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, it's not a direct one-to-one comparison, but uh you know i just i feel like weirdly like every like two decades there's a kind of like film like this where like a an older woman mentor kind of um you know uh kind of guides a young guileless teen to early 20 something guy well how about almost famous sure because that that is a more recent example to to what you're saying but that's one of the that's one of the great examples of this you know and, and in terms too of like when you're in love with somebody, but you're not ready yet to be in love with that person. You sure. know what I mean? And, and, and I think that kind of gets to like what I said in my review. I think this movie is kind of better at being sappy than being funny because sure. it, there are actually moments that kind of tug on you a little bit, kind of get you feeling for this kid. You know, he's not really a kid. He's 19. So they, they make, they make it a point to be like, he's not barely legal or anything like that. Uh, but there is still that weirdness, but I think the movie is trying to make something out of that weirdness, not just wave it away. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's a balance that the director had with uh, Good Boys. You know, I mean, maybe not like an amazing film, but I feel like that movie is a lot better about being kind of funny or even explosively funny, but having like a real, you know, core emotional sweetness. Obviously, it's like super bad junior, but it's still like, you know, affecting and sweet. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, the thing about Good Boys, you know, who's in Good Boys, right? uh that's right molly gordon exactly and molly okay. gordon you wouldn't believe it but she's in season two of the bear which oh. uh i'm just looking for ways to keep bringing up the bear honestly i thought you were gonna bring up uh theater camp a movie she stars in and co-directed well, we'll get that- to that we will get to theater camp pretty soon and uh that another you know what this year has been a year for comedies you know how hard it was for me to not be able like how much it hurt to not include theater camp and this year's in the best movies of the year so far list we did for in between drafts. Check it out now. I'm really nervous then if that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's like, wait, John likes this. Oh, shoot. Is it more? I mean, not to get off topic, but just real quick. Is it more like waiting for Guffman or is it more like Glee? The latter. Okay, no, no, the not... former, the former, the former. Okay, okay. That's pretty good. Uh, all right. All right. Sorry, I mixed up my ladders and formers. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, I, I do want to call out uh, Matthew Broderick and Laura Benanti. Not enough of them. I love them in this. I think that there's like so much potential there. There's so much weirdness of like, I saw some critics rubbing their nose at this and saying like, well, it doesn't make any sense. They're, they're helicopter parents. They've sheltered this kid for so long, but they're also so cavalier about him having sex. And I'm like, yes, like right. that actually, that's A, that's funny. And B, that does feel like, enough within the realm of possibility without being like fairly obvious on its face. And the only thing that was bugging me was like, we go through huge stretches of this movie where they're nowhere to be found. (laughs) And I'm like, this movie should be milking so many scenes out of both them and Kyle Mooney. Kyle Mooney's in here for two scenes. What are you doing? What is this SNL? (laughs) 
pretty good. Um, no, I mean, well, yeah, yeah. When you had mentioned stars, they didn't uh, utilize enough. Obviously, I was going to mention Cal Moody, who definitely gets some of the bigger uh, laughs of the film, the selected laughs, to be sure, but uh, certainly some of the better uh, comedic moments, just purely based on his, it's not like his material's great, but he just, you know, makes, you know, uh, a mountain of a, of a molehill. But uh, yeah, nevertheless, um, yeah, I, I think with the the parents, I think what's appealing to me about it uh, is that it's like kind of examining this dynamic with Gen X parents, uh, which I feel like we've like, you know, done the death, like the boomer parents kind of mentality. But like, yeah, like you said, like this Gen X thing where it's like they're trying to kind of be cooler and more open minded and progressive right. than their parents. His dad is literally Ferris Bueller. Right. Yeah, exactly. But like also like there's this like thing where it's like they're so loose and kind of like nonchalant that like it's like the opposite. Effect. It reminds me of uh, in The Simpsons. I know you, a show you love and dearly watch uh ned's parents said sarcastically let's be clear i haven't watched the simpsons much right ned uh ned flanders parents are revealed to be these kind of hippie guys and they're like we've done uh well let me remember the line exactly it's uh (laughs) we've done nothing and we're all ideas something along those lines and it's just like yeah these kind of you know open-minded but like not really uh forward-thinking parents who are just kind of just trying to look out for their kids best interests, but not really doing anything to really progress them meaningfully. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting dynamic. Again, I feel like the building blocks are here, the blueprints there, but just like nothing really organically funny really comes out of that to me. If anything, it just kind of reminded me of, uh, funny pages and how much better that movie is. I feel like about kind of tackling the, the Gen X, uh, Gen Z divide. I do want to just give Laura Benanti a little bit of extra, you know, attention here just because she's better known as a theater actor and a TV actor. She hasn't been in a lot of movies. She was in Tick, Tick, Boom, small role, but she's, she's very good. She's very talented. Everything I've ever seen her in. And I, I think she probably got this gig because she was on a few episodes of inside Amy Schumer. And of course, Amy Schumer and Jennifer Lawrence are good friends. And so I think that would, that was the connection there. I genuinely believe that she should be in more things uh, theatrically because I think she has a really good comedic presence. She's kind of like really like I think the funniest scene in the movie is where Jennifer Lawrence is kind of trying to like get around her age while talking to Benanti and Broderick. And it's it's actually a well done scene. I was like, oh, this is funny. And I just wanted the movie to keep doing that, to keep going for that same sort of thing. And it, it just didn't quite. So and again, it's never that it's like way below the bar. It's never, it's not going for huge jokes and then face planting necessarily. It's kind of just going for average jokes and doing right. them fine. Yeah. It's again, yeah. It's just that the weird thing is that like, it's not for like a lack of effort per se. Like obviously Lawrence is committed and all that, but I don't know. It just kind of feels like, like there's just an absence there. It's like weird. It's just like, they're like trying to coast on vibes more than like really kind of doing like jokes. And it's just off because it, you know what I was trying to think of this too because Jury Duty is a very funny show. It's a funny show built on a premise where a lot of the comedy is the irony of like you know that it's fake, that's a fake Jury Duty, but the main character doesn't know. He thinks it's all real. That's where the comedy is coming from, and it's almost like Stubnitsky is using like the vibes of that kind of thing, and that's where like I guess like that's he wants that same kind of humor to come about of like isn't this premise funny? And doesn't really like dial in the jokes to be like, yeah, sure, our premise can be funny, but you can't just glide on that, right? And so, yeah, this movie's missing a few pieces to it almost. And I guess we're we're over we're over talking about it, I guess, and we're really harping on it because I think of the potential. I think because like we both want something like this to succeed, and I think right. they did too. I think there's a reason why, like Hassan Minaj, he's in this for what, like thirty seconds? He's in one scene, and then he has like a quick voiceover. You don't get Hassan Minaj in something unless like, yeah, you have people who are like, yeah, I want to kind of be part of something like this. I think actors do want to be in movies like this. Uh, Natalie right. Morales, you know, who has been so good and so many different things she's done. She she gets a few scenes here and like a few gags that are fine. Again, but again, it's sort of like, I think that these folks are just sort of a, 
in a movie that, uh, I, again, it's almost like it's not that they just want to be in a movie like this. I think they all wanted to contribute to make a movie like this successful so more of them can be made. But the way I see it now, it's like, nah, I mean, I think we're just headed toward a future where, unfortunately, this this kind of thing, like, people are going to watch New Hard Feelings on a streaming service. Like, that's where most people are going to watch this. On your end of things, do you think that's okay? Do you think that people will still get, you know, some enjoyment out of it? Yeah, I mean, it's not a film that demands, like, the big screen. But, you know, I mean, the hope would be for something like this that, like, the outrageousness would be more palpable with, like, a big audience kind of, like, laughing and, like, you know, getting caught up in it. And I feel like that's, like, again, that's what's kind of weird about this movie is that it doesn't really feel like it's trying to go for that, but also kind of is. And so it's just, like, an odd kind of imbalance that doesn't quite work. It feels just too uneven, for its own good but then again it's also like such a oddly kind of well-intentioned and like you know uh sweet-natured film but actually kind of like intriguing message about like kind of learning to let go and like moving out of your small town and like kind of gracefully moving into maturity like stuff that's a little bit more thoughtful than a comedy like this usually is about its messaging but again i just kind of wish that it was able to do that while also being funny. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, you know, you can't have them all. I, and I thought it had a decent ending. It, it's not even that it gets better as it goes along, necessarily. It's just sort of that it never gets terrible. And it's sort of like, it's like a heartbeat. You know, there are moments where it like perks up a little bit, goes back down, perks up a little bit. So, yeah, that's no hard feelings. Uh, we should play the Rotten Tomatoes game. Sure. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, I, I'm gonna try. I've been trying to kind of figure out how to talk about the the nude scene, only because I feel like it's worth complimenting. Because I feel like it's. I'm gonna try to be as uh, delicate about this as possible, but it's rare that we see like women nude scenes done comedically. Like I feel like it's there's always this like societal pressure to kind of like only do like male scenes is like you know sexy or like. You didn't laugh during the nude scene in Red Sparrow. <laughs> uh but no i mean like i i like that i don't know it kind of reminds me of um what was that movie from a few years ago uh mike and dave need wedding dates where it's like the comedy isn't just with women uh like the nudity isn't really just only there to be kind of like sexy or uh seductive it's like also there actually in this case it's only really to be funny and like outrageous and and goofy and just the commitment that lawrence brought to it uh, I don't know. I just—it seems like if actually like the one thing this movie that's generally kind of progressive and interesting uh, about it to me. But I don't know. It, it's a—it's not my place to really comment on that per se. But I just find that to be a fascinating uh, decision. Just uh, just wait until you see Joy Ride. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> if you were. If you're like, oh, women using nudity to tell a joke. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's put a little pin on that. I mean. Obviously, it's been done before elsewhere. I just feel like it's just... I know, but I'm just saying that, like, if you were just like, oh, we haven't seen that in a while, like, well, you're going to see more of it, I think. Um, That's all I'm getting at. Uh, The movie's graciously short, too. It's only 103 minutes, about an hour 40, and you're out of there. And, uh, yeah, I I didn't feel like it was overlong. I mean, maybe they could have shaped, like, five minutes, but I'm not going to micromanage here. And, uh, yeah, it's in theaters now. I don't know how long it's going to be in theaters. You know, I saw just today that it's looking like asteroid city you know biggest box office opener uh, of wes anderson's career and it's looking like they're already planning to put it on digital on july 11th july 11th just a couple weeks from now i mean we are in a weird place like ever since the exclusivity window evaporated you know, I, I was hoping that we could all be adults about this and and make adjustments. And you know what I mean? Like, it just seems like we've, we've gone to such a like, it, it's like, do they you not care that this is teaching people to not go to movie theaters and right. watch these things so we can get more of them? I, I mean, know. that's a weird. Th- Universal is in such a weird place. Like they're like championing like original mid budget kind of movies like this. I know this is a Sony film, but this is Sony, um, yeah. But, uh, you know, like they're doing like movies like Cocaine Bear and like Megan and, you know, like like stuff that's like not like as IP based, like stuff that's like a little bit, you know, good like, counter programming, uh, you know, knock of the cabin, things like that. But then like they give them like very short like theater windows. And I think it has to kind of do with like 
in the pandemic, they were like the first, like I remember Trolls World, World Tour was like the first one to kind of take advantage of like the VOD model. All right. Well, I know we could talk about this quite a bit more, but we probably should not and just get right over to the Rotten Tomatoes game. That's what they've been waiting for, is it not? So, okay. No hard feelings. It's been on Rotten Tomatoes for about a week, and we have 176 reviews counted. Will actually give me your best guess. Oh, well, let's see. Based on how you were describing the film earlier, it sounds like it's pretty negative. I know critics... I could have been steering you wrong. I could have been making it more challenging for you. That's always possible. I don't know. I feel like... I don't know. Like I said, I, I feel like even though critical consensus tends to be kinder to some films that maybe critics weren't kinder to in the past. I feel like comedy is still, you know, a very subjective hurdle to get over. I don't know. I, I could see critics maybe being kind to Jennifer Lawrence's performance, but maybe not kind to the film itself as we were. Uh, so I'm going to say 54%. You are not that close, unfortunately, but just uh, I'll say you're more than 10 points off, but do you think okay. it's higher or lower? Uh, is it higher? It is higher. It is higher. It's in the 60s. It's 68%. And it's been fluctuating. It was 66% uh, yesterday. And, uh, you know, so we, we started this recording on a Thursday night. Now it's Friday and it changed a little bit. It was actually 66 but uh, yeah, we had some technical issues and we reconvened using the power of editing. But um, yeah, so 68% is the critic score. What about the audience score? What do you, what do you think that is? We have a thousand uh, plus verified ratings. I could see it being on par with the critics for this one. Uh, like I, as I was going to say before, I mean, I feel like, I don't know, this is a movie I feel like most people are going to love, but it's a hard film to really get like mad at or even be like super critical. I don't know. I feel like audience are going to like it, but not love it, which I think kind of constitutes like a 73%. It's, it's not your, this is not your Rotten Tomatoes game. Wash. You're, you're off by 15 points. Wow. It's 88%. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. The audience is you're underestimating how much they like, you know, Andrew Barth Feldman's pipes, right? Sure. Um, not that pipe. Excuse me. Um, so, Singing pipes will get that get that suggestive grin off your face, uh, sure. but okay. What about cinema score? Uh, the folks in Vegas have had their say. So what say you? Um, with that in mind, I don't know. It, it seems like an A minus is pretty high for this, but I think it's higher than a B. So I'm gonna have to go with a B plus. There you go. You just needed to warm up a little bit. It is a B plus. I think you just needed to stretch. <laughs> Sure. I don't want you to overextend yourself doing these very important guesses. Uh, we'll finish off with Letterboxd, of course. 66,000 watches are logs on Letterboxd so far. What is? What do you think the average rating is? I know you have concerns about the, the Letterboxd rating system apparently changing and uh, making this more difficult for you. Yeah, I mean, I guess they... Well, they changed to make it, I think, more... Uh, in, to like the top 250 yeah i mean well it seems like i mean well i presume that the reason they changed is because spider-man across spider-verse was like number one or number two and uh you know like it was trumpcating films you know like citizen kane and you know seven samurai and all that so uh they they kind of changed it so that's a little bit more uh lenient i think to newer films like it's not quite as willing to like run to an estimate um and if it is it's less high than it used to be so with that in mind i'm gonna say it's probably in the 3.2 range very very close you're only one off or point one off so do you think it is 3.1 or 3.3 well my feeling is that 3.3 but i i feel like if they're going lower now it should be 3.1 no, you should have gone with your original feeling. Not that you were trying to logic your way to three point one. No, it's three point three. All right, which is not bad. Not bad. Uh, so friends of the show have spoken. 
Uh, so I see some of them have logged the movie as well. And it's a range, you know, Charlie originally gave it three and a half. Kimber Myers gave it three and a half. They both liked it. Emma Sasek gave it three and a half. So, so there's some love coming out for this film, uh, unlike us. And uh, I, I do see that a uh, friend of the show, Isaac Feldberg, um, didn't put a star rating, but you know, uh, you, you can read his review for yourself. I, I won't give it away. You should just read it because he's a great letterboxed follow. How about that? Yeah. We got to get uh, him back on the show at some point. I'm always thinking about it. I'm always wanting to. Um, oh, I see Robert Yanis Jr. also put a heart on the film, <laughs> not a rating, but seemed to have liked it. So we're, we're in the minority. We should have had a guest on to, to defend this movie more, right? Because you and I, we had a little old, we had some hard feelings. We could have used a softy like, sure. like Charlie, right? Um, but okay. That's no hard feelings. It's out in theaters now. Next week we have Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. By next week, I mean literally today, because we're that's how late we are in recording our review yep. of No Hard Feelings. We to the point where you and I have both seen this new Indiana Jones movie. Yeah, I've re- I've reviewed it for for In Between Drafts. Uh, you're fresh on the movie. You just uh, not fresh like critic score, but fresh like you just watched it last night. Right. And uh, or was it last night or the night before? No, it was Wednesday. So. It was, was Wednesday, like, yes. Yeah, I mean, you don't know my score quite yet, so I, I, you don't know if I'm fresh or rotten on it. But no, I literally saw um, No Hard Feelings and Indiana Jones and Dial Destiny back to back. Like I, uh, you know, went to the theater, I saw No Hard Feelings at a public screening, and then like less than thirty minutes later, I was in the theater seeing Indiana Jones and Dial Destiny. There are two other movies that are coming out that uh, well there's okay there's ruby gilman teenage kraken but i don't have any intention on seeing that i don't know about you but there are two other more notable movies i think that uh we should try to cover at one point uh, one of them being nimona which is on netflix and uh, i've heard great things ali johnson wrote a great review of that on in between drafts she loved the film or i shouldn't say love she she really really liked it and there's also still past lives which has been yeah. And wide release, and I'm still waiting on you to watch it. And I, I'm just sitting here on my my sofa chair, being like, "When is Will going to watch Past Lives so we can debate it and discuss it?" Because he's, of course, not going to like it as much as I do. Uh, so that hopefully is coming soon. Well, that just came. I work as I've mentioned before at the Harris Theater in downtown Pittsburgh, and we just picked it up. So and you are planning to watch it? Yeah, at some point this weekend, I'm hoping to watch it. So. Um, yeah, I mean, literally, as soon as this call ends, I'm going to go to the Harris Theater, not to see the film, but to work uh, at the theater where we're showing the film. So you'll be able to do your own cinema score, right? You'll be able to survey the the folks coming out of the Harris and be like, it's time for Pittsburgh to take mm-hmm. the reins on yeah. these Nielsen, quasi Nielsen ratings, right? Right. Yeah. Because, you know, like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So like they're just kind of breaking the golden rule, having these cinema scores. <laughs> you know, Pittsburgh's a loud and proud city and needs to you know, have its voice be heard. I like so, that this has come down to like a purity thing for you. Just sure. like, excuse me, Vegas, you have a catchphrase, don't you? Right. Um, but okay, thank you again uh, so much for listening to Cinemaholics. Uh, hang out with us on social media, do whatever you want. And uh, we'll be back next week or less than, I mean, we'll be back in a few days, pretty much, um, for Indiana Jones and whatever else we can cover. So see you all in the next one from the Internet California. I'm John Negroni. And for Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Wash. See you next time. Bye.